And now our feature presentation, Imitating Art with Don and Chuck. I'll drink to that. All right. Well, welcome to Imitating Art. I'm Don. I'm Chuck. And at Imitating Art, we like to watch movies, dissect them, and see if there's any life lessons that we can apply to our own lives. And today we're going to be talking about The Truman Show from 1998. Did not realize it was pre-2000 for some reason. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's actually uh, another cave allegory movie like The Matrix before The Matrix. Um, Okay. The Matrix was 99? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I mean, Max isn't here to confirm, but (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure it was 99. Uh, Very different ideas with sort of a similar uh, background story almost. For Uh, sure. I mean, again, it's the cave allegory. It's all about thinking your world is real and and finding out that it's it's not. Um, So uh, do you want to sum it up or... I'll let, you decided, you chose on this one, so uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a summary. Sure. Uh, so The Truman Show is about a, a man named Truman Burbank, played by Jim Carrey, who grows up in this uh, idyllic seaside town of Sea Haven uh, in basically a, a 1950s sitcom-esque uh, town. Everything's kind of perfect and silly and happy-go-lucky, and he's fairly recently turned 30 i think he's just about 30 and unbeknownst to him he's actually the star of a wildly popular television show called the truman show because sea haven is not a real town uh all the people in it are actors there are hidden cameras all over and it it's been uh since before he was born uh this man named christoph created the show where you watch a real person live basically their entire lives 24-7 on TV. Uh, Again, surrounded by, like, everyone is in on it, except for Truman. And, you know, the idea is the drama is you see a real person living their life. And it's about things slowly start sort of going wrong on set, uh, which is the world's most gigantic television set, because it's actually a little bit bigger than the entire town. It's a little bit of the surrounding area, too. And uh, Truman starts kind of putting things together that things aren't as they seem in his town and starts learning learning how to make uh, his own choices, essentially. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the movie. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so if this takes place in like the same time, that they came out 1998 mm-hmm. in a similar world to ours. They had some serious technology in 1968 when they started making this movie <laughs> or this TV show. Well, at one point, Christoph answers the question of how many cameras are there in Sea Haven? 5,000. Yeah. yeah. He said there was, they started with only one. Started with one. So I, I think the idea is it's actually got like the, um, maybe the, the lighting and stuff, uh, was, always there but i i mm-hmm. get the feeling that a lot of the especially the cameras and things probably got better sure over, over the years the one that they showed us though was uh in the crib like hanging in the mobile 
And that looked like it was some, some technology that would have been post-1968, <laughs> unless it was from the NSA. So that was kind of pretty... It, it looked like a James Bond-type camera, you know? <laughs> but it, um, anyway, it, they, they, it must be an alternate reality that was slightly more advanced as far as like audiovisual stuff went, because when you look back at a TV show that came out in 2010, we, we go, wow, the graphics are not very good in this. So I can only imagine what they were, what they were broadcasting in the, in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it looked like crap. It looked better than what <laughs> yeah. we saw, I'm sure, because we see s- small flashbacks to when he was a kid and some more extended flashbacks to when he was in college. So that would have been right. the, the 80s, early 90s. Um, right, because consider when his dad died on the boat. He was, what, 8 or 10? Yeah, something like that. So that would have been in the So, 70s. I mean, that would have been in, like, the mid-70s when when they filmed that, and that looked like it was, it was pretty good quality. But I know they we, we went back and forth between the... actual flashbacks and the broadcast flashbacks anyway that was just one of the one of those little off thoughts that i had was like man they they've got some serious like uh, technology behind this whole thing yeah Uh, obviously we're suspending our disbelief that they can (laughs) make this happen anyway i I was gonna say like you're you're already suspending your disbelief that a human can be adopted by a corporation wait Um, a second (laughs) what about (laughs) that sounds like something the u.s would do sure um well (laughs) I don't know. That that seems like something that would be a tough court case. They're they're willing to say that corporations are people, but I think don't, letting don't get a corporation me adopt on, uh, a person. Don't get me started on court cases. I've been listening to uh, five four a lot, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 pretty sour on the Supreme Court right now. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. maybe uh, maybe in the future it'll be uh, six six four or seven four. Oh yeah, or yeah, or <laughs> nine five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's see what happens. But anyway, uh, the first thing, the first note I actually wrote down was Ed Harris, because well, I forgot about Ed Harris. You know what? That's a good point. Let me pull up my notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like they they jump right in. I mean, I, I like that they jump right into the outside of it before we even meet Truman. Like yeah. you 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 see him first. You see Ed Harris first. Yeah, um, Christoph. It would have been, I think it would have been fine if uh, we didn't know that it was a show and uh, we found out with Truman. Yeah, we found out with Truman that that things were kind of wonky and weird and and wanted to know what was going on. But I will say that um, letting us know up front actually puts us uh, in the same position as like the audience for the Truman show right in the movie world where we're watching this guy who we know there's a TV show about him. We know he's on all these cameras and and we want to see like how he's going to react to all these things happening to him. Uh, right. And you right, know, so we're watching the show within the show within the show. It seems like they present um, what's happening in the movie, what's happening to Truman to us the same way that, you know, Kristoff likes to present it in the show. You know, he, mm-hmm. he cuts those flashbacks. He's like, we're seeing it through all of those cameras, like in his pen and his ring and like right. all, all the cameras around his office. Um, yeah. I like the way they did that. And they incorporated that into what, like what we're actually watching. So like we, it feels like you're watching the show sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I like the way that they, they don't tell us we're watching it through those cameras. They just, in the very beginning, they have his neighbor carrying the trash can and you right. see the camera in the trash can and then you see the angle from the trash can and then yeah. it cuts back to us looking at the trash can so we can see the camera again. And yeah. 
once that happens, like we see that shape, like in his class ring or whatever, whatever that is, like we see the shape of yeah. the camera just everywhere. And then it's kind of like uh, what Breaking Bad did with camera angles, where you see it from the end of the shovel and things like that, <laughs> from the, in the inside of the whatever they're filling up the bathtub. Yeah. Um, um, I like but, uh, when we were watching those last episodes of Breaking Bad, you said that we should have had a, a game of where's the camera going to be in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, it, it kind of became predictable in some ways that they were going to have a, a, an unusual camera angle, but it never became boring. Like yeah. it was always like, Oh, I, I love that they did that with the camera. So I, I'm, I was always looking out for it and excited for it. Same it's, with better. It's Call the Saul. windshield wipers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so we, I, and I also enjoyed that they started off the movie with like the credits for basically like, it's almost like a documentary about the Truman show. And yeah. it said like a film by Christoph or or something like that right yeah um, uh, i mean it was again it was like we we're just watching the trim exactly it, it was, it was like the they didn't, they didn't the roll show. the they didn't roll the credits of any of the actors who are actually in the movie from our perspective they rolled it as if we were watching in their universe which was was a fun little little way to do that yeah uh, again we're they're putting us in that position of like we we want to watch this guy get exploited a little bit too to to see mm-hmm. what he's going to do with it. Um, now I know that rea- reality shows like took off more in the two thousands, but was like ninety eight where there like a decent amount of reality shows. I remember like Road Rules and Real World. Yeah. And, like Real World was kind of taken off, and I wonder if that was part of the impetus for the the idea. Oh, um, a- absolutely! Like the the Real World started. In I think like eighty nine or like ninety eighty nine really or or ninety yeah like that that wow. first season of the real world started pretty early on I'd say the latest would probably be like ninety one ninety two wow um, I did not realize it was that early but um yeah I mean I I can look but, it up but sure and then like things like cops and stuff like that there were definitely those that's true true and and then. Even though it's not reality, it was posed as reality. Things like Jerry Springer, like there were definitely right. those like exploitative shows that yeah. that definitely showed the people creating television that people want to see the way real people react to situations. Right, which is what they and they actually say that right in the beginning. They start. They said like they're tired of fake emotions and they want to see real emotions so like they're like everything that's happening to truman is real but it's controlled which is just the exact definition of what most reality shows are yeah yeah, yeah, maybe the maybe the reactions are real even although probably heightened but they those people know they're on a reality show but the producers are producing the things that will elicit those reactions yeah uh, I mean, because they have to create drama somehow, right? Ninety-two. This by is the almost way. like okay. This is almost like a prank show in in a, in a in a like in a certain sense. Whereas, like, but the but the guy never finds out the end of the prank. He's just like, there's a game being played on him, and he doesn't know he's a part of it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know he switched it with this. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Thirty years later. <laughs> yeah. At least with a prank show, I mean, there I think there are some problems with prank shows too i mean that's how zach braff beat up a dude <clears throat> right <laughs> uh, uh, right understandably like I, I don't fault zach braff for that that was on punked like some dude like yeah i remember they made it look like he completely they fucked with his car didn't yeah they? and and he loves his cars but they 
they made it look like his car basically got trashed. And yeah. so he chased up, like they cut out the part where he actually like assaulted the guy. But I mean, come on, the guy, as far as Zach Braff knew, the guy had trashed his car and then ran. Yeah. And it's not, it, it was pretty low brow as far as pranks go. Yeah. Um, like it was just gotcha bullshit. Yeah. Like some pranks like really scare the hell out of people. Like I think, like, let's see if celebrities are real people and will actually get mad when we do this to their hundred thousand dollar car. Yeah. But, but I mean, punked would do things like fake holdups and, and stuff like that. Like yeah. they, they, they did crazy stuff that should never have been done. Anyway, all Scully. that to say, yeah, actually, my note just says Scully exclamation point, and he's got the same haircut, dude. Yes, he does. <laughs> it's just a he little really bit longer. Does. I was gonna say he just has a little more hair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was great to see him. I forgot that he was in this as well. Has actually a really good cast. Um, Paul Giamatti, I forgot he was in it as well. Yeah, and he's barely um, in it, but it, but he's still great. I yeah, mean, he has even, such a small role. Even at, other than that opening shot of ed harris explaining the premise of the show you don't see him again for another like over an hour like right. even the like paul giamatti ed harris everyone in that control room philip baker hall like they have was that the old the older man with the white hair philip baker hall yeah okay i never remember or i don't know maybe i never knew the actor's name but i've seen him in so many things and i love that guy yeah he's uh bookman in seinfeld the, the library cop right right okay and he's uh the chief in uh, Rush Hour. He was in and, 24 and also. In He's a, been in a in bunch a of, stuff. of stuff. Yeah. Um, I feel like he might have been in House of Lies or uh, House of Cards. I don't remember. I'm not sure about that one. But all those great actors in the control room, like they're, they're really only in like the last half hour of the movie. Um, yeah. But even... I kind uh, of expect to see Hank Azaria there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even like Laura Linney as, as Meryl, the wife... Like she's mm-hmm. great. Like just a lot of oh, and great, uh, great actors. N- Natasha McElhone, however you say her name. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know the face, but I mostly know it from this. I'm sure I know her from other things, but I can't. She was the one of the stars of Californication, so I know her face quite well. Huh. Yeah, the uh, one of the things I was talking speaking of her uh, when he was tearing the things out of the magazine before you knew what it was. Like you just, I just saw him tear a bunch of eyes out of the magazine and that was toward the beginning. So it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's some foreshadowing for him. That's like, somebody's always watching you. Every time you turn a page, you just see another set of eyes watching you. Mm. That, that, that is true. I didn't think of that, that every time, like there were like three ads in a row that were just faces looking <laughs> directly at him. Yeah. Uh, I love the exploitation of like all the people in town that are like put the guy, the, the twin guys that always push them up against the billboard uh-huh. <laughs> to, to make sure the ad gets in there. Right. <laughs> or, or just even like Meryl coming home, like, look what I found at the supermarket. Right. It's the chef's friend or whatever it's called. <laughs> You'll never have to buy another knife again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the radio show he, he listens to on the way to work plays classical royalty-free music. Right. Oh, uh, but speak, what, what you just said uh, reminds me of what you said last week uh, of, was it last week? When we were talking about uh, product placement in the movie and you talk, you were talking about how they're just like influencers in the fifth element. Yeah, we were talking oh, yeah, about yeah, what yeah. influencers were going to be like. It's very much like watching like a YouTube channel and then somebody in the middle will just be like, that's why I use Squarespace. And like, they'll just kind of segue yeah. into a product placement and just start doing the ad right in the yeah. middle of like the normal video they would do. 
This video brought to you by Raid, Ages of Legends, or whatever the hell the, the MMO <laughs> is keep, called. I keep seeing on YouTube the the ad for some Viking game where like it cuts for like the epic Viking uh, music with the the game, and then it cuts back to a guy looking at, at a guy in a garage on a like a rowing machine, and he's like, "Hey, are you that Viking guy?" <laughs> have you seen I, that? I one? have not seen that ad. No, <laughs> it looks pretty funny, but I always skip it when it gets five seconds in. So I don't know. I, I haven't seen where it goes after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, all the, but, I, but all that to say, I was think I was I was thinking that this this really is how this would happen if there were a show like this, like yeah. everybody be looking for their way to get a piece of it to sell something, to just find a way to monetize it. Yeah, and, and like even Christoph mentions that everything you see in the show is available for purchase from the Truman catalog, which is I mean it, it would right. be it would be an app or a website these days, but yeah, you could just every piece of clothing, every like thing that they use is for sale and that's how they fund the show like instead of commercials because you're watching this guy 24 7 right and he is not shy about that at all he just says you know he's like yeah everything is available uh from the from the bow ties to the products that we put out you know what i mean it's like you can buy his house you can buy the houses did you notice uh when um so there's a scene fairly early on where truman sees his dead dad uh in the street and I think this is the first time you really see like the handlers within the show react immediately to remove a, a threat to the right. reality of the show. They, they, they jump on them, like pull them away, throw them on a bus. The bus pulls away. Truman chases after him. Uh, he runs past a couple of arches with a, a Latin phrase on them. Did, did you see that? You know, I did see it, but I did not focus on it. I, by looking at a couple of words, I was like, I imagine that it probably translates translates to this. Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, it was uh, all for one, one for all. Okay. Which is... Three Musketeers. Well, yeah. Uh, but I feel like it also kind of is... All for one, one for all. Oh, a little like all, clue everybody's to, doing everything to the for town, Truman yeah. and he's doing... He's entertaining all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, it's... Okay. It's got to be, a, like, a detail that Kristoff added in to be clever. Sure. Because Kristoff does think he's awfully intelligent and knows. Oh yeah. And completely in control and knows exactly what's going on. He's one of. The I mean, more... his name is Kristoff. One name. Yeah. He's he clearly named himself that. Yeah. Not even with a K. It's got Guys, the C H. Call me Kristoff from now on. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind <laughs> calling me Sting from now on. <laughs> sure, Gordy. Oh. <laughs> I'm bite this my body thinking... scratch. <laughs> yeah the rest of this episode will just be dana carby <laughs> we could do this for hours uh, or at or least, at least one minutes. hour yeah <laughs> <laughs> um how much do you think it would cost to uh put a put a program like this together he did say it like cost like the gdp of a small country to keep everything running yeah which is why they have to absolutely monetize everything they can uh in yeah. the show um i mean they're essentially paying for a small town that doesn't actually have an economy. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was going to say it's, it is, a, it's like, it is just like Disney world on steroids, basically. Like it is a world in like a city within a city. Yeah. But it's oddly for, they've basically built this town probably over the course of the entire 30 years. It's oddly unfinished. 
right? right? Like like when he runs into that office building and sees like the elevator and the elevator is just a set and it's like pulled back and yeah. you see like the backstage behind it and it's just people sitting in, you know, excuse me, uh, director chairs and just hanging out. Yeah, like it almost seems like it'd be cheaper and easier just to have real working buildings. Yeah, like... Like give these people something to do all day because if because they could actually have an economy there, yeah, and generate money within that, yeah, and like yeah, just give them a, things to do, and then it'll still look real, and, yeah, because it'll be real basically, yeah, and you don't just have to pay a bunch of actors anyway, but also anyway. just to have worked on it so long to have it basically be unfinished except for the places that you know Truman goes is mm-hmm. strange, uh, especially for a, a control freak like Christoph. So this is one of the first like dramatic roles that Jim Carrey did. Uh, you know, he he had been around for a while as like a stand-up, and then on In Living Color, and then was in some movies like Earth Girls Are Easy and, and stuff. But then '94 hit, and that was when the three big ones came: Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, and Ace Ventura. Um, Were they all '94? All '94. Insane, Wow, right? that was an insane year for him. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And all, like, completely different kinds of movies, too. Yep. <laughs> but all wow. completely, like, Jim Carrey roles, too. So this was only a few years later. You know, you figure it came out in 98. They probably filmed it in, like, ni- late 97, early 98. So mm-hmm. so was this was this before any of, like, Man on the Moon, The Majestic, and, like, uh, Eternal, Eternal Sunshine was 2000, I believe. Eternal Sunshine was, like, 2004, 2003. Was it that like late? That. Yeah. I was, I was oh, in college okay. when Eternal Sunshine came out. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure it was before The Majestic, which I never saw. Me either. <laughs> and I think... Man on the Moon was... I think it was... I think, had, had I think that was 99. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point, though, that... It's like this is his first foray into like dramatic, but also, you know, it definitely has like it has a little bit of a comedic feel to it. Like there's definitely like some comedy involved, like when he's bending over, showing his butt to the camera, basically. And like it looks like he's like it's very Ace Ventura-esque in that scene because it looked like they were using a fisheye lens to make his butt look bigger while he turns around from the gardening to talk to his wife. Yeah, the majestic, the majestic was two thousand one. Yeah, I, okay. I I mean it's definitely a comedy drama, especially since it's starting with that tone of like a fifties sitcom. Mm-hmm. But it the um the character of Truman doesn't feel like it's incredibly written to be a, a Jim Carrey role. It just right. seems like he was able to bring some of his signature line deliveries and physicality mm-hmm. to to the role, and they probably tailored it a little bit once he was cast. But sure. but again, it's it's nothing at all like any of the cartoonish characters he had done. Um, although th- this was after Liar Liar, which had a little bit of drama to it, but still, that was essentially a Jim yeah. Carrey comedy with a, a, I guess a dramatic was, ending. That um, was definitely a bridge to this one, which was a bridge to the more dramatic ones. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is one of the first times. It's I think it's the first time I remember seeing a movie, and I was like. Oh, Jim Carrey is just like a, a, he's funny and he's a good actor. And I was 13 when it came out. I didn't really know what a good actor was, but I was like, oh, mm-hmm. he's 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 good. And then and it's also just a fantastic movie. But uh, I liked that watching it this time. I liked that he was able to make Truman simultaneously like that 50s 
caricature trope of a sitcom character, but also just like this incredibly human person with all of these fears and hopes and what he thinks are like secret thoughts. But like, you know, you get to see him be the sitcom guy when he's like going to work and with his wife. And then you see him sit down by himself and you just see like a person who wants fulfillment and is just trying to make things more, you know, trying to live a happier life, but he can't because of the situation that he's in and he doesn't realize that he's being manipulated, but yeah. Yeah, And I, and I know I've said this before, but I, find that I, I I appreciate comedians doing or comic actors doing dramatic roles so mm-hmm. much because I, I feel like they're they're able to bring that balance of like silliness and drama because like so much of comedy comes out of pain and drama and like if you can access both sides I feel like they're more full they're able to like access a more full spectrum of what reality is like so it's much more accessible not everything is full drama and nor full insane comedy so you get to actually kind of ride that roller coaster of emotions with them yeah i I mean i I don't think it's uh a secret that a lot of comedians are are using comedy to to battle like depression or or other issues they might have um yeah so i remember on friends (laughs) <laughs> when the psychologist was talking to Chandler and he was, she was like, Oh, I see you're using sarcasm again. I'd hate to be there when the laughter stops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, you know, Robin Williams was such a great actor because he just battled himself for years and he was able to bring it all to his characters. And I mean, I don't know what Jim Carrey has gone through is going through i know he's a little kooky he's a little yeah. bit of a conspiracy guy uh he's gone through a lot though yeah it's funny because he's the kind of person who when you see the things he talks about or like tweets about or whatever now it's like half the time i'm like he's totally like he totally sees the truth of what's going on right here and is able to break it down and and understand it and then i'll say like when he was on comedians and cars getting coffee and talking about how there's no difference between orange juice with no pulp and orange juice with some pulp. It's all the same pulp. You're just believing that there's less because of the label. And <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, overall, he seems like a very intelligent guy who just wants the best for the world. But every once in a while, he comes out his, with some view. And I, I have to imagine like the world he inhabits that we do not definitely puts him in a place where he's probably... Uh, experiencing things a little differently than we are too. So uh, I can see how that would make people go a little nuts. <laughs> but, yeah, that's probably true. Um, overall, I think he's mostly got good intentions and he seems like a really intelligent guy, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, if you want to see something that's very drama comedy with Jim Carrey, his newer show. Um, kidding. Yeah, kid, it's so good. I was just about to say, I still haven't seen Kidding yet. It looks yeah, good though. very very good. I recommend that to anybody who likes Jim Carrey's like dramatic but also wacky stuff. Yeah. So it, among the many manipulations uh Christoph has has pulled on Tr- Truman uh there's one of the main backstory events that Truman has that he has remembered 
<clears throat> for most of his life, other than his dad dying, which we'll probably talk about. But um, you mentioned Truman gathering all the, the magazine photos together to compile a face out of them. And it's because when he was in college, he it wasn't even really a romance. There was just a woman, a, you know, a fellow, a, a fellow student that he was interested in. Yeah. Named... I think the so, name Sylvie they gave, is her real name. Yeah, I think they gave it was either Laura or Lauren on the show, like her character name. Yeah, but uh, you know, it was just kind of you know they would make eyes at each other from across the way, but she was not part of the script. And she I like in the script. I, I like that they don't even say that. You just at, the, at by the point they show that backstory, you understand exactly what's going on when yeah they're making eyes at each other, and then Meryl like accidentally falls into Truman and introduces herself and and whatnot, and right. and his best friend is trying to take his attention away by playing the trumpet in his face and and all of that. <laughs> it's actually like a really great movie for that, where they don't they just tell you very briefly up front what's going on, and then show you exactly how it plays out and then you understand without them needing to tell you over and over again but speaking of that guy he's a great actor also he's been in mm -hmm. quite a few things but i know him best from the americans hmm. i know him best from this and he's in beautiful girls with timothy hutton and michael rapaport and matt Dillon. uh mm -hmm. a, another uh sad white boy movie um mm -hmm. and another good comedy drama uh, with mm -hmm. Natalie Portman, no less. But, um, so he has this sort of romance from a distance with her and she is obviously very interested in him. And she, right. ta she takes the opportunity when he approaches her to just run away with him momentarily, <laughs> just because she, she wants to tell him the truth and, and spend time with him. She obviously is an empathetic person and, Thinks it's crappy that he's being manipulated in this way. So she tries to tell him. She sure waits until the last possible moment to try to tell him, though. I, I realize that. It's not that they had a lot of time anyway, but... <laughs> she didn't really, but, she but, didn't really yeah. work that hard. She let him make jokes about a pizzeria on the beach before she, she said anything when the, the men in black showed up. Yeah, and she didn't say it very clearly either, but... Oh, sorry, it was her dad. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Quote, unquote. I've never seen this Actor man dad. before in my life. Um, removing the Fiji, which I still... Every time I look at a bottle of Fiji water, I think of him wanting to go to Fiji. Anyway, what, <laughs> but what I think is so funny is that pulling her away from him in such a dramatic way seared this moment into his yep. memory even more. Oh, for sure. So that, and, and she mentions, you know, it's all the show, it's all for you. So that when things start going wrong and he remembers this moment, because again, they accidentally made it one of the most memorable moments of his life. He starts, yeah. that's when he starts experimenting uh, with, uh, with what if I do this? What will the town do then? Um, yeah, so I, I have to say I'm surprised that they allowed her to wear that pin in town. Yeah, maybe they didn't allow her to. I, I don't that's know. That's true. Maybe that was her little rebellion. Probably. She obviously had a problem with, with what was going on. Yeah, I'm surprised that actually since the very beginning that she was like kind of interfering that they like let her stay even that even long enough to get to that to that point. Yeah, I mean, I guess she wasn't really interfering at that point. She was just kind of I guess not infatuated with him and just kind of making like looking at him flirtily. And they right. they obviously pulled her away at that one point when Meryl fell into her and he turned around and she was gone. I assume that they just yanked her away again at that point. 
Yeah, well, they, they were supposed to be in high school in the scene where they were on the beach, right? Or is that college? I'm pretty sure that was college because they were standing in front okay. of Sea Haven College. Okay, because I was like, I, I was starting to think about it and I was like, it feels wrong that he, that, uh, that uh, Truman is not doing more to like find out who that guy is and like hold, you know, keep her safe there when she's telling him, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like he should have done more there, but I mean, it's also a strange and weird situation where he doesn't know what to believe. Yeah. Also, I mean, he's not being brought up in the real world. Like he's not given the tools to, you know, he, like he was probably never taught like stranger danger, like anything like that. Um, yeah. Because there is no stranger danger. (laughs) Yeah. Um, everybody loves him. It's an idyllic world. So like, he's never had to be in a situation like that. He's just they didn't give him the tools to survive in something like that. Um, Fair enough. That's a good point. Uh, one note just says so fucking manipulative. Oh yeah. I mean, that could, that could have been a subtitle for the movie. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly what part of what, I mean, everything about this movie is just manipulating. Truman. I mean, they're basically, he's basically a slave. He is yeah. owned by a corporation. He is there to make them money and he does not, he's not aware of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then when he starts to find out, he wants to get away, and they won't let him. Yeah. Um, even though they have, sla- they have slave catchers. Even though Kristoff keeps saying, if he wants to leave, he can leave. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently not, though. He, I think too many impo- too many powerful people are making too much money off of him. <laughs> yeah. To let him well, leave. I think I think Kristoff believes that he would just let Truman go, but I, I, I think in the back of his head he can say that because he doesn't think. See, the thing with Kristoff is he hates the world and is kind of afraid of the world. So he created this idyllic world. He created for, his own. For, for Truman, yeah. He created his own utopia. And I don't think he can picture Truman wanting to leave that. Um, but of course, the right. only, uh, and I always say we'll talk about this in lessons and then we almost never talk about what I said. But <laughs> the only reason that's a utopia for Kristoff is because he's seen the outside world. Uh, to Truman, right. it's a cage, and he needs to see the outside world. He's not going to appreciate that cage you put him in. Right, he's uh, only seeing the shadows. He's not seeing the real world. Yes, the the cave. <laughs> yes, um, but it's. I mean, and then Christoph gets tested to see if he's actually going to let him go when he gets on a boat and tries to escape, and then he finds yeah. out if like he will let him go or not, and he doesn't want him to. Obviously, actually, I really like that moment because. Um, the other main backstory event for Truman is that he his dad died in a horrible boating accident when he was eight or eight or nine, and yeah. that was specifically to make Truman afraid of the water so that he wouldn't leave the island town that he lives on. Um, right, and, and you see earlier in the movie that he can't even get on the ferry uh, because he's just too deathly afraid of, of going on the water. Yeah, he, he can barely he can't get on the ferry. He can barely drive he can't across drive the bridge. Over. Yeah, he couldn't drive across um, the bridge. He had yeah. to make he had to make his wife do it with his eyes closed. Yeah, um, while well, he just put his head on the uh, head uh, foot on the gas. Um, yep. Uh, but I do like the moment where Kristoff realizes after Truman's gone when he's like, "We're not looking at the water." Like he, he's realized that right. Truman is is testing things to see what he can do, and that the one yeah. thing he's I mean, never done is go go across the water. Um, if you back a slave, you know, back an enslaved person into a corner and give them only one way out, doesn't, you know, they're going to overcome that fear. Yeah. And just, but like that, it's, it's such a, 
at this point, it feels like a cheesy overdone moment where he stops and turns around towards the camera and he's like, we're not watching the sea. But it, yeah. it, it's just, a, it, I felt, liked it. it felt like a good mo- movie moment, yeah. Oh, um, sure. Actually, can we rewind just a second? Because that sequence, that like group of sequences where Truman starts experimenting to see what he can get away with and how everyone around him is, because he hears over the radio, uh, the 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 people talking over walkie talkies that are tracking Truman's daily route, right? Yeah. And then he starts thinking like like well, what'll happen if I don't go to work? And like that whole sequence culminating in him basically taking a knife to Merrill, right? Um, but like the whole the the car sequence where he's driving around town and he's you know he's he's noticing that there's a pattern to the things that everyone is doing and they're trying to treat him like he's crazy because they don't want him to find out, but he absolutely refuses to believe it and he knows what's going on and he's just trying to get people to tell him the truth. That whole, like, what is it? 10, 20 minutes of the movie. That's, that might be one of my favorite sections of, of yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good little, like, uh, like uh, impetus for what you know was going to happen, but like him, it, it makes sense for the character to be to to test the waters, so to speak, and like see what's what he can get away with, like what is real, what's not real. Mm-hmm. Like you have to push push things and see. Oh, and uh, I forgot to write it down, but uh, one of the things that that reminded me of was Westworld, where mm-hmm. like he he would say something and they'll be like, it doesn't look like anything to me. And like that, they would just dig, disavow like any of the things he said. Like I heard them talking about me; they were tracking me. There's always people looking at me, and they were like, "I don't know, it doesn't look like anything to me." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a cell phone. But like, uh, I was like, "They're not robots, but they're basically behaving like robots that are programmed to not acknowledge anything that's not in the script." Yeah, and, and I mean, so much of it feels evil, right? Yeah, especially I mean, what Kristoff is doing in general, obviously, but then. When you're watching him interact with his wife and his best friend, and you know that they're just acting, like they might care about him a little bit as a person, but to them, it's really just a job, and they're really just doing yeah. what their bosses are telling them to do. It's like that scene where Truman, after uh, Truman takes the the chef's buddy or whatever away from Merrill, and it doesn't seem like he's going to attack her; he's just trying to get her to calm down, but. You know, he has that knife and uh, his best friend shows up with, with the six pack. They go out to talk on the pier and then to he just completely tries to dissuade Truman from ever leaving town, like ever being adventurous, ever trying anything. And then brings in his his dad. He's like, I found your dad for you, like to distract him from it. And it's just right. that by that point in the movie, it just feels like some of the most evil things you can ever do to another human being. Yeah, there was a lot of... They're basically testing on him, that's true. I didn't really think of it that way, but that's kind of what they're doing. They're kind of pushing him in different directions just to see what what his reaction will be. Yeah. Um, Uh, But yeah, he finally gets away. And just to dissuade him from everything he wants to do. Like, even when uh, he starts talking about how he's never been out of town and kind of wants to go somewhere that is outside of Sea Haven, and then his mom comes over and they're looking at all the pictures and she's like look remember going to mount rushmore and it's clearly just like a model behind them and also they really like push the 
like I, I love the posters and stuff in the travel agency that's like yeah. it could happen to you lightning which, could strike your plane <laughs> which which it can safely do by the way strike a plane yeah 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 there, that i know but i but i really just like they they're they really yeah. try to make or i mean this is pre-9-11 agency and everything yeah it's pre-9-11 so they also have the poster about like uh terrorists like bombing places yeah. like i noticed that too trying to get you to not travel anywhere yeah but anyway yeah but i actually really loved i loved the scene the end scene on on the water and like his oh, just yeah unabashed like forward looking like i'm no matter you can throw whatever you got at me yeah i'm still gonna get up and go forward yeah because as as he's sailing across the the fake sea you know which they control all the weather for Kristoff keeps throwing worse and worse weather at him he basically says he doesn't care if he kills him on television yeah. um i mean to Kristoff, that's just gonna be good tv right but you right. know the, I think it's Philip Baker Hall is like, you can't kill him on live TV. And he's like, why not? He was born on live TV. Right. And um, it's just, he basically is playing. I mean, he is obviously playing God. Yes. He probably thinks he's got, like, a, he thinks he's a God at this point. He, he throws lightning and thunder and rain and weather at him and then speaks to him from the heavens oh, yeah. before he escapes. So, I mean, yeah. he thinks he's a God. Yeah. And it's, I think that's one of my favorite last, scenes of any movie first of all it's a great callback to his catchphrase which is you know whenever sees him anyone sees uh truman in the morning they say hey good morning truman he's like oh "Oh, good morning and in case i don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night which is just a great sitcom-y catchphrase yep but but then you know when christoph is just there Again, manipulating Truman and trying to get him to just come back to Sea Haven and live his life. You know, it's it's terrible out there. People are terrible. You're not going to be any happier out there than you are in here. And Truman just turns around and he's like, oh, in case I do don't think, see you. Uh, <laughs> do you think this movie uh, kicked off the Flat Earther movement? You think this, this is what people think if they if they sail the sea they'll just run into a wall that's really just the, <laughs> the sky painted on the side of of the earth. Um, but I, I they, there was some foreshadowing to what was going on, like how it was built in in the sunset scene where you could see the moon right next to the setting sun. The moon was the first of all the moon was already up, mm-hmm. and it was right next to the sun, and it was almost full. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the moon. has phases in this world yeah uh, because it always looks the same yeah well the moon is where the control room is right that's what i mean it's like the 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 control room moon is right next to the setting sun and they're not saying anything about it but then he's sitting in the kitchen at one point and he's kind of playing with that model of the earth that has like the moon thing around it did you notice that and he was like kind of looking as he was moving the 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 moon that would revolve around the earth and he was kind of moving it and looking at it to be like does it make any sense that if we're seeing the moon, <laughs> like that's how I interpreted it. But, and, and I think that was a little, just a little, little, uh, throwaway piece that they put in there. But I, I, that was stuck in my head when I saw the moon up in the sky next to the sun. So I was like, is he noticing this or does he just not know that that's not how it works? He's probably starting to put it together, but also yeah. in that scene where they're looking at the sunset with, uh, with the moon right there, his best friend, even like looks up at the moon. He's like, ah, you know, look at that perfect sunset. The big guy, big big guy has quite a paintbrush, doesn't he? 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I didn't even really think about him talking about Kristoff. <laughs> I just assumed he was referring to God. Right. Uh, so. I think he was doing both. It's what... Uh, You're right. It's what some people refer to as a double entendre. Yes. Double entendre. Uh, uh, I know we're probably wrapping up the review part soon, but I forgot I wrote this down. There's when, um, when Kristoff first realizes that Truman is in the water, like on the water in a boat, there's one guy who says, how can he sail? He's an insurance. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's just such a silly throwaway line. It is. It was. It was good though because I feel like that's the. They're like we put him in an insurance job so he would know the dangers of yeah. everyday life. You could. What, what was the thing he said to the woman on the phone? He. You could. Somebody could like get stabbed in the heart while they're like laying on the beach or something. But I can't remember what what yeah. it was. But it yeah, was something like remember. completely outlandish. Yeah. Um, my one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is I think the last line of the movie that Scully gets to say. What, like, what else is on? <laughs> What else is on? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of like, this consumes everyone in the country's life and everyone like follows this constantly. But like, as soon as it's off, it's like, well, let's see what else is on. Yeah. Uh, Which is funny because I don't think, uh, I don't think Kristoff has realized that, that no matter how good of a show he creates, it's, it's not going to last forever. And once it's over, people are just going to turn, turn the channel to something else. Um, I, I think he wants it to be like the most important thing in, in his viewers lives because it's the most important thing in his life. And, but he, I don't think he realizes that kind of nature of TV that there's always going to be something else to watch. Yep. That's the biggest lesson here. Don't (laughs) worry. There's always something else on. Also, I, I firmly believe that in case I don't see a good afternoon, good evening and good night should be on the AFI's list of top 100 movie quotes, but it's not. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good one though. It can be on, it can be on yours. Oh, it yeah. is. <laughs> I don't I don't recognize the AFI as a as as an institution that I need to uh follow. <laughs> I mean, just like any other institution like that, they're going to have some good picks and some picks that are useless and I mean, it's all useless. Yeah. Uh <laughs> it's all It's just, all just distracting us. <laughs> yeah, it's all just lists of pop culture stuff which if you want to go look through their list of top 100 movies, fine you can find good movies in there but it's just don't tell anyone just don't tell anyone that this discussion is useless because we have lessons coming up right after this break yeah (laughs) we'll be right back with our product placement vibrations are real over there mm-hmm. they're good though good vibrations and with that we're back <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the beach boys podcast today we're talking about cell phones <laughs> uh and uh jesse Kasopoulos. <laughs> john, john stamos <laughs> yes <laughs> but didn't jesse actually play with them in the show <laughs> yeah but so did john stamos in real life no, I know, but I, I mean, obviously it was it was obviously influenced by real life. I or I yeah. assume, or maybe the other way around. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. He he played uh, drums for the Beach Boys before Full House. Okay, but yeah, um, J- Jesse did get to play with them in Full House as well. 
Um, but the Truman Show. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I think there's quite um, a few lessons in this one. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of them are spoken aloud. Um, but one of the first things I wrote was that true in the end, like Truman is would rather die trying to figure out the truth and figure out what's happening than live in this lie for the rest of his life, you know? Like yeah. that's kind of the that's what people might be pushed to at some point. Like they that that's what truth means to to people. Like we we think of truth as like above everything else in a lot of ways. So we'll put ourselves through crazy things to find out reality. Yeah. In in opposition to that, a lot of we'll, we also jump through a lot of hoops to keep ourselves, you know, keep tricking ourselves into believing things that we know aren't true, just because it's easier to live life that way without knowing what's real. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like it. it touches upon kind of both of those because i mean even though christoph knows it's all fake he certainly is living vicariously through truman and kind of deluding himself into believing in the proposed reality of sea haven and also the the importance of what he's doing yeah and and he gets all these accolades for the way he inhumanely treats truman yeah yeah, it's not like uh, I can't remember the director's name who did uh, Before Sunset and Boyhood. Uh, 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 Linklater. Link, Link, yeah, Richard Linklater. Like this feels like a, uh, a an enhanced version of something Richard Linklater would do. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, all the actors in Boyhood knew it was fake. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. This is this is the evil twin of, of Richard Linklater. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly uh, that kind of the kind of experiment he would do. Though you're you're yeah. you're correct in that. Um, just the the evil version of it. Oh, um, but I was I was thinking also like everybody's a little bit solipsistic in that they like Truman. It starts to starts to think the world revolves around him, and that people start telling them that he's crazy. But some people really do believe that, and in Kristoff's case, he believes. I mean, he lives in or he he lives and works in the moon, basically. So he believes he revolves around the world, but you know, in yeah. the same way, he still believes like that. Like I said, it's of the utmost importance what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, he he certainly believes that he's contributed so much to humanity that the world does revolve around him a, a little bit. Yeah, which is why I was saying why I think he responded so well to that last line that. Scully gets to say, uh, you know, yeah. what else is on? Like, all this work Kristoff has done, and then Truman becomes his own man, and the world just moves on. And Kristoff is probably forgotten about, because there's no way he's ever going to be able to create anything like that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's not like he's like, oh, well, I guess I'll just create a sitcom now, and then have people watch it and think he's great. Right. Maybe he'll start doing a web series where he talks to people in his car. Yeah, actually, I could. He's definitely going to be one of those like Uncle Sal guys or whatever the hell they're called. Just telling it like it is. <laughs> Uncle Sal. <laughs> um, I uh, I I mentioned the the pin in the in the main part, but like the the, the pin that says how is it going to end? Mm-hmm. Like it refers to like the Truman show, mm-hmm. but 
they even said in the in the show that so when somebody said how's it going to end they said you know like well yeah that's the big question isn't it like that's what we all want to know how's what's going to happen when this ends like yeah. how is it going to end oh we're just going to look for something else that's on yeah like nothing's going to happen it's just going to end yeah but even even truman when he sees the pin you know how's it going to end he's like you know i, I think about that myself exactly uh, yeah that's that's what i mean I, yeah i couldn't remember the exact line but that's what i was thinking like yeah that's of course that's what we're all thinking yeah um which I mean, just that in itself is showing you that there's a, a depth to, to Truman that you're never gonna be. Even if you film him twenty four seven, you're still presenting it as this show that is mostly surface value because it, it's it's right. a sitcom, right? So yeah, absolutely. So he's got like this, even though you're watching him in his most intimate moments where he's worrying about things and thinking about things. And you know what he's thinking about enough that Kristoff can show you flashbacks to previous episodes. Right. But, uh, even, but there's just, he's a human and you know, he contains yeah. multitudes, you know? Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a three dimensional person living in a two dimensional world, basically. Yeah. And so just by acknowledging I think about death like there are no conversations in the show or the movie where he and even his best friend are having any even pseudo philosophical conversations about death. But he mentions yeah. that he thinks about it. And well, like the show is just not going to show you any of that. Even at the very end when Christoph is talking to him and he's like, you know, I know you better than you know yourself, all, all that kind of stuff. Truman says, you don't have a camera inside my head. Right. And he also uh, does work in life insurance, so maybe that is also part of the reason he thinks about death a lot. <laughs> but that's true. But yes, he's being forced to in a way. But that's to keep him contained, not to uh, not to make him think philosophically. Right, but he is thinking philosophically, you know. Right. Yeah. And, well, yeah. I mean, he's a human. He, you can't keep him. You can't keep him on the page like a script. Yeah. He's unpredictable. Yeah. He, I mean, he's got the technically perfect wife and he still is you know going into the basement and and thinking about that one kiss he had with sylvia 10 years yeah. ago um yeah that made me think i was i it's it's very easy to romanticize a lost love mm -hmm. uh but i mean i mean his went along with that trauma of seeing her ripped away yeah and being told those crazy things but like it's definitely like he he was romanticizing her before he even knew her. He just he saw her and was like kind of doughy eyed over her, and then it went from there. Yeah, well, it's also compounded with him being forced into a marriage that he probably didn't want to be in. It's just good for TV, and he probably doesn't right. actually love Meryl. So he's thinking about yeah. you know to the last time he met a woman that he actually had feelings for. Um, right. Yeah, I guess that was the only reality, the only real feelings he had for anyone other than his wife. And I'm sure he's like, like I was saying before, like we trick ourselves into believing things that are not maybe completely true. Like he probably has fooled himself into thinking he loves his wife. Oh, for sure. Or his wife loves him sometimes. And then not, you know, being able to look past all the things that obviously come up when he starts to see what's actually going on. And he's like, you, you can't stand me. You know, you, his wife does not like being around him and he can tell because she never gives him like a real answer to anything. Mm -hmm. She's like, let's just have some cocoa. 
whatever the cocoa stuff was. <laughs> and then she goes on like, yeah, Makoko. Uh, and then she does the tagline for them and talks about how yeah. it has natural ingredients or whatever. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah. um, and I like that because that's during the sequence that ends with him taking the, the chef's buddy away from him. But I liked that uh, when the best friend, who I, I don't know why I can't remember that character's name. Uh, I think of his face, not his name. But when, when he comes in and she runs to him and she just cries, this is unprofessional. I can't work under yeah, these yeah. conditions. Um, and I like that every time he walks in, he has a six pack of beer in his hand. Like yeah. that's his excuse every time to come in. And they're all facing the camera. Like they're all, you know, you've held a six pack of beer before. All the cans are facing different directions. But no, these cans are all facing the same direction and, and he's holding them out to the camera. Now that's a now beer. that's a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I feel like you should have said that in an Australian accent, but um, <laughs> I... I, you know, I'm, I'm having the, I, I can't remember exactly. I'm going to watch the Americans again at some point in the not too distant future, but whenever he would go over, so he was, he plays an FBI agent that lives next door to the Russian spies mm -hmm. and he befriends them. And every time he goes over to their house, he's, I think he brings beer with him. Like that's his excuse to go talk. Cause he's like, he's friends with them and he goes to talk to him and like talk about his life girlfriend problems. And every time he's like, Feel a couple beers, and I, <laughs> I I wonder if that's just like a a funny little reference to the Truman Show. I hope so, because even at the end when they realize Truman might be gone or, or something, you see <laughs> him like, like two in the morning. Yeah, you see him like rush over, like run down yeah. the street with a six pack of beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found that very hilarious. Yeah. Uh, um, but to, to go with what we've been talking about, because I think we've been talking about this and dancing around the line that Kristoff says. During an interview, he says, we accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. Yeah. Which is just his pseudo-philosophical way of saying, we just tell him it's the truth and he's just going to act truthfully. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's very much like what we are. That's that's what we experience as humans everywhere. Like mm -hmm. the the TV tells us this. the The government tells us this. Our parents tell us this, we accept it as reality. Like, mm -hmm. even as critical thinkers, we still accept a lot of stuff as reality. When, but when you really think about it, the United States only exists because of enough people believe that this border on the land is real. It's not real. It's not really there. Yeah. But enough people agree that it exists that we say, well, there's a, there's a line there. Mm -hmm. And like, that, but that's true with everything. The only reason the dollar has any value is because we all agree that if I have this, it will mean something and I can give it to somebody else and it will mean something to them. So if it has value to them, it has value to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just, you have to accept some things because if you question everything, you just won't have enough energy for anything. I know. That's <laughs> why I'm tired all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But except the reality of the world, uh, th I mean, that goes exactly with what you're saying now, but also before about how we can delude ourselves into believing the world around us again, because questioning everything is exhausting. And right. And like, and when, and like when you just said that, like, it's actually healthy sometimes to not question everything, because if you question everything, then you don't, you won't have the facilities to love or you know enjoy life like you will just be worrying about everything being real and like the absurdity of reality yeah um 
to go back a second to what you said before, acknowledging the truth can sometimes be uncomfortable. And we mm-hmm. we kind of are trained to avoid that. Really, yeah. you got to find the, the right mix of sure questioning, like understanding that not everything you're presented with is true, questioning it, being skeptical, but not driving yourself crazy with it, allowing allowing yourself to be yourself despite knowing that things probably aren't quite true. Yeah. Um, choose your battles uh, yeah I, I, and i wrote like you know we avoid the discomfort but like truman some of us des- desire the truth and pervert prefer to live within the truth and, yeah. but it's it's i think for all of us it, it is just that we we try to find that healthy mix of everything sure i mean there's definitely like a case to be made for blissful ignorance in some cases and mm-hmm. and, and a bit and, and the ability to separate importance of what's real versus what's not and like how much you need to focus on that to ha- to live a happy life or to live a safe and fulfilling life. Um, and we've, we've kind of talked about it here and there throughout, but basically what you were just saying is the allegory of the cave. You believe the reality you're presented with. If all you see are shadows on the wall, you're never going to question if there's something behind you making that shadow mm-hmm. um, because you don't know. Um, you don't know if there's like a puppet master back there or what, but uh, one of the one of the things I did write to go back to what we were just saying was if reality might not be real, then why not do whatever makes you happy within whatever reality you live in, um, which is what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I also wrote down that we're all prisoners of something, whether it be work, culture, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, that fits into the allegory as well, where at one point, is it his friend who says he prefers his cell? Um, somebody said like that Truman is a prisoner and he lives in a cell and somebody said he prefers his cell, which I thought was a really poignant way of saying like sometimes we'd rather live not knowing there's something outside of this cave. Yeah, I, I can't remember, but it sounds like something Christoph would say. Because, like, yeah. again, he, he wants... That's true. I think it might have been Christoph. Christoph yeah. really wants to be the one living in Sea Haven, not knowing that there's an outside world. So I think he's just... And he, he might have deluded himself into believing that Truman actually wouldn't... He doesn't want it. I mean, he says it explicitly at the end. Like, there's nothing out. There's nothing for you out there. Mm-hmm. Don't walk out the door. Everything, you know, reality's in here. It's the same as it will be out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I feel like they really, they, they really did a good job at that at interpreting uh the cave allegory just a lot of really good like little little bits to it that add up to the to the whole i agree uh another i i think these two lessons kind of go hand in hand but so at the beginning of the movie when you're seeing an interview with Kristoff where he's telling us the conceit of of the movie essentially that it's all fake around truman he says, you know, the people want to watch reality like they don't want the falsehoods anymore. And, right. and he says, you know, there are some false things within Sea Haven, but Truman is always real and, you know, always true, essentially. But as we come to find out, that's not actually true. Like, because of all the manipulation around Truman, we don't actually get to the show doesn't actually get to explore what Truman is actually like as a person. As we, as you said, he's a 3d person in a 2d world. 
So I, I wrote down, once you add fiction into a life, you can't be sure what you're getting. Mm -hmm. But also, if you're not making your own choices, it's not really your life. Right. No, definitely not. I, I don't think Christoph realizes that because he doesn't want to. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, they obviously make choices for Truman and then create the situation that forces Truman to make that decision. Uh, because, yeah. because it's good TV, which makes the entire idea behind the show false. Yeah. And I think, uh, like Christoph probably has, he's, he's the biggest fan of his own show <laughs> and mm -hmm. he, he gets to watch his favorite character. Like he basically gets to manipulate and make his main character do what he wants him to do by manipulating him. So it's like getting to watch your favorite TV show, but like the character always does what you want them to do. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I like being surprised personally, but, Absolutely. <laughs> but it's, a, but if you're a narcissist completely and you know, you think you can control the world, then yeah, being able to make your favorite main character do what you want him to do <laughs> is definitely going to just push that idea further into your brain. Right. And, and people are only going to watch that kind of scenario if they think it's, true or real which they do yeah because if it were written that way it just wouldn't be good tv you know so so truman's the only person who's like not an actor in that in sea haven right correct so he's the only true man oh yeah i i i've i've thought that before <laughs> I've, too i've never thought of that until i heard you just say this is not true and then you said truman i was like wait a second <laughs> yeah i i forgot i didn't even write that down but I, I, not I, as poignant I, as I as I feel like it is, but it's because I just realized it. Uh, yeah, I thought that uh, like years ago that I, they had to have chosen the name Truman, like Kristoff has to have chosen the name Truman because they want to watch a true man on on TV. Also, Kristoff is Christ. Oh, true. <laughs> that, that, that's why it's not spelled with a K. Uh, um, it all makes sense now. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you, even though he's God and not Christ. But anyway. Depending on which religion you adhere to, it could be both. <laughs> really, I would say Truman is the more Christ-like character because he's the one who dies and is reborn. Uh, and also he's the one that's that's being uh, uh, helpful and helpful to his neighbors and being like a good citizen, basically. That's true. Um, but uh, um, yeah, you've, you've got to make your own choices if you want to live a life that is truly. yours. Yeah. The, or live truly. The only thing you can truly say is your own or the choices that you make. That's a good line. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it's true. Yeah. Very, very true. Um, I thought of the, uh, when you mentioned the inscription on the, the arch, uh, all for one and one for all, it's like, that's kind of what that's, that's what Truman is in that scenario but that's uh uh like he you're ex you're exploiting one to entertain everybody yeah well so, well so okay so then who do you think the one is do you think it's all for one everything is for Kristoff? Uh, that, that's what i was gonna say like i think Christoph he's like is giving this <laughs> gift to the world it's oh you think the the i think he thinks he's giving this gift to the world and yeah. i mean i guess he is so he is oh but so I, he I, is I, the one for all I think the point I was going to make was that he, I, since I just wrote it down when you said it, I hadn't fully fleshed out the idea, but I think uh, what I was thinking of was like 
Truman's decision there at the end, whether to walk through the door or not, he had to decide like, is giving, is basically giving up my life to continue entertaining the millions of people who watch the show who find, you know, the, the thing that basically the thing that Kristoff was trying to talk him into and manipulate him with by saying like, yeah, you, you entertain and you help, you help millions of people. Yeah. And make him happy. like he, he has to make that decision. Like, well, do I want to be live in my own life and like live in reality? Or do I want to go back to this, which I know will help millions of people, you know, help entertain and make, make so many other people happy. So that's an interesting choice that he had to make there. Yeah, although... But he also wasn't equipped with the facilities to really make it. Yeah, uh, but as as much as I absolutely love entertainment, one piece of entertainment, like the Truman Show, like, the world is going to be fine. Yeah, well, that's, like, yeah, that's what I mean. Not not like, costing... Not, not, at the, not at the cost of another person. Yeah, like, like Kristoff is, is using that to man- manipulate Truman, but it's not true. <laughs> Right. Like it's if if Truman walks away, the Truman Show ceases to exist, and again they just change the channel. So, in that case, that's true, and th- this may be a little bit of more of a departure from that idea, but it's a, kind of a similar idea to exploiting workers for low wages to be able to buy cheaper products in this country, and you know, and 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 all the, the all the labor law kind of things that we've been hearing about even more and more lately and that kind of thing. Like we, we're, we're exploiting, we're exploiting one or many to make other people live a little bit easier and at the behest of a corporation that doesn't care about them. Yeah. Yeah. The exploitation of people for capital gain is, has always been a problem. Which is exactly what this is. Yeah. It was one person, but I mean, it was, it's, you know, he represents the millions that Mm. are exploited. Well, I mean, is one life more important than a thousand? The, I don't know, well, this okay. is a philosophical question. So, how do you feel about the trolley problem? I was actually <laughs> gonna just—I was actually gonna mention the trolley problem. I—I uh, I still believe that the the act of pulling the lever, just because you caused it, you still saved more lives than you. I think I think the act of not pulling the lever is just is exactly the same as pulling it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no correct answer and that's that that's why No, it's, I know. It's this philosophical to, question for that reason. To fill everyone in on what we're talking about, uh the <laughs> <laughs> the trolley problem is the idea of if you're standing next to a switch that switches a moving trolley from one track to the other, if it goes one way, it kills one person. If it goes the other way, it kills whatever, three people, four people, more than one person. Uh, it's heading toward the three people right now. If you pull the lever, it only it, it will switch and only kill one person. But then you have actively made the choice to kill a person instead of allowing it to continue on its path and kill the three that it was heading toward. And there's so many versions of it, and The Good Place does it so well. Yeah. <laughs> but... uh I feel, and just as an aside, I feel like we should just do like a couple episodes of The Good Place and that should be one of them. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, that, that's that been always been my interpretation of any philosophy class that I was in that we talked about it, that it makes the, the amount of lives lost, if it's in your hands, it's in your hands. Like if you have the choice, 
you just by not choosing, you've still made a choice. Yeah. And we've talked about, we talked about that lesson in another episode too. Like the, the, the act of not choosing is a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you can discuss it till the cows come home. Yeah. I, I, I say we, uh, we, we couch the trolley problem until we watch. That good, <laughs> uh, we should just watch yeah. that episode of the good place. Let's um, do it. We can even cut because, that out. Because, well, no, I, we can keep it, but I, I, I could see us talking about that for a while. Anyway. Sure. Um, uh, another lesson I I mean, this is more of a, a trite lesson compared to some of the others in the movie, but you know, he has to go on the boat in the water at the end to, to escape sea haven. So I wrote, you know, that kind of old truism that sometimes when you face your greatest fear, you can learn that you can do things you, you never knew you could. And then the world is yours, which I mean, I, We've probably talked about that before. I can't remember, but yeah, and it takes a lot to force you to face your biggest fears. But then once you do, you realize you could have done it all along, mm-hmm. which is a good lesson in in itself. Yeah, which I mean, once he got to that the the end of of Sea Haven at the end, and he did so by going on a boat and being almost killed. By in the boat in the same way that he remembered his dad dying, even though he didn't actually die because he was just an actor. Um, once he got to that end, got through that, and then got to the end, there was not going to be anything outside of that door that scared him. Like there was absolutely right. no reason for him to not decide to go through the door. And he had nothing to lose. Yeah, he had nothing really? anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> So that's kind of a traitorism. Uh, but the other, the last main lesson I wrote. and Also, uh, traitorism uh, was on the emo band name Generator. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That can, uh, what the hell is our emo band name? Add it to the list. Because uh, it, it can be uh, one, of our, one of our emo albums, too. But I, I got diagnosed with pernicious anemia. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I wrote that Kristoff only truly creates art when things go unexpectedly. Uh, this is the kind of realism he always wanted, but he never actually wanted to create uh, because his, right. his his methods <laughs> his methods were mistaken. Because these big challenges are where we grow, and that's where life really is. And if he wanted to present life or something close to the reality of life, these are the kind of situations that he needed to present these actual hard changes the real growth of life um yeah so even though he spent 30 years thinking he was creating the greatest piece of art it was truman who created the art in making (laughs) that position decision at the end i like that i like that that truman was the truman was the real creator in Mm -hmm. the end like he was the real artist in the in the situation yeah Um, and then even during that whole sequence at the end where you know once they flick the because they Truman was missing, they turned the TV broadcast off, they brought it back on once they found him in the boat. That is the most riveted you see all of the viewers any time yeah. any, they're watching yeah. the show. Because now there are actual stakes, like something is actually happening, decisions are being made. Yeah. Other than that, it was like like comforting white noise because it was like, Oh, yeah. yep. Same thing's happening. Like we watch it because it's comforting and we know what's going to happen. Yeah. And now suddenly we're, we're gripped because something different is happening. Yeah. It's just they like even when said, we're watching 12 episodes of a half hour sitcom on Netflix all day and it just becomes background noise. And then once we get to the sweeps, it's like, Oh, something different's happening. Um, yeah. no, uh, 
the yeah, I think Paul Giamatti even said we're we're getting the best ratings we've ever gotten with this with this graphic up right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what else to yeah. say about that one right now. <laughs> me either. But that's that's all the lessons I have over here anyway. Yeah, me too. Which means we have to end. That's a a subtle ultimatum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also just wanted to mention like we've talked about it a bunch, but I can't imagine learning that the most traumatic things that have ever happened to you are fake and were made to happen to you for people's entertainment. Yep. It's all a big simulation. Yeah. We can talk about that one again when, uh, if we ever watch last action hero, (laughs) (laughs) if we watch last action Hero, I think Tim has the guest on that episode. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, um, all right. Well, that was that was good. I we got into some stuff I didn't expect to, and it, was, it you're right. There are a lot of big things in this movie. Yeah. Uh, for being like a 1998 like comedy drama, it does have a lot of big themes in it. But if you don't have anything else, no, I'm good. All right. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email over at imitatingart1 at gmail and you can find us on social media at imitatingartpod on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, if you want to find us individually, you can find me at Big F and Moose on all of the socials. Yep, you can find me at Don't Worry I'm Finite on Instagram. Uh, if you're on Twitter, I'm at Don is Finite, even though I don't post very much. <laughs> and you can find me on youtube.com slash Don't Worry I'm Finite. So uh, thanks for sticking with us, and it's been actual. It's been real. See you next Tuesday. Zippity doo Don and Chuck will return in Imitating Art with Don and Chuck.